the scripture reading for today in connection with the final petition and the closing of the Lord's Prayer that we've been working our way through the last number of weeks. The psalm that we'll be reading in connection with this is Psalm 93. Psalm 93. And you'll be able to find Psalm 93 on page 685 of your pew Bible. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. We'll now also look at the final petition as we find it in our Heidelberg Catechism at the end of your book of praise. You'll be able to find that on page 563. Lord's Day 52, starting on question and answer 127. We come to the sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer here. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when was the last time that you considered the reign of Queen Elizabeth to be relevant to your life? Today, we have pictures of her hanging up in our schools. We speak of the dominion of Canada In fact, the words, hold our dominion in thy loving care, can still be found in the fourth verse of our national anthem. And that's a verse that we sing, still sing, on Canada Day in this very church building. Calling Canada a dominion is a recognition of us officially being under the mastery of the royal family of England. In other situations, we might even learn or sing God Save the Queen. At least, the very fact that the title God Save the Queen is familiar 
to the majority of you here means something, doesn't it? It means that the royal family still has some cultural sway over our country. But is it actually meaningful for us here today to have a queen? In our day-to-day lives, how often do we think about the fact that we have a queen and what's the impact that she has and the decisions that she makes? What is that impact on our day-to-day lives? Now, thinking along those same lines, I want to ask you another question. What is the relevance of the reign of God, the King of Heaven, in your life? There are various responses to this. For the people who were in Israel on the receiving end of the Psalms that were sung so often in the temple, the reign of God as their one true king was deeply meaningful. Mind you, it wasn't the case for all of them because for them as well, it had become in some cases a cultural curiosity. The psalm that we're looking at today speaks to both of those groups. For the one, the psalm becomes a reason for rejoicing. And for another, it becomes a reason for a firm rethinking of your position. And so with that in mind, we'll look at the following theme and points. The eternal reign of our eternal king. And we'll see a true king. Second, the question of the real world. And third, assurance. Now, if you have your Bibles open you may notice how it's it's pretty amazing how the first line of our psalm today starts off. We read here, the Lord reigns. Now there's two things to notice here. First of all, the name LORD in all caps points once again to the covenant name of God. And this in itself is a pretty incredible reminder. This is the name that he has given the people with whom he has chosen to have a special relationship. Not too long ago, two members of our congregation were joined in marriage. This too is a special covenant relationship. And in the bonds that they received with the incredible privileges that they have and the incredible responsibilities that come with marriage, they also received a special name, husband and wife. If you've been baptized, you've been brought into a rich relationship with all of its blessings and with the incredible and joyful responsibilities that come with it as well. And you've been given the name of the Lord, Yahweh, as a reminder of this special and beautiful relationship into which you've been brought. But it's not just this relationship that the psalmist reminds us of today. It's the fact that Yahweh reigns. He's making an incredible confession here. This is no figurehead position like many of the royal families today enjoy. He is the king of kings and he rules. He reigns. This is an 
activity. He's not just an idle spectator, but he rules wisely and he rules justly. Beloved, he is your king to whom you owe homage. A king who lays claim to your unyielding allegiance and your unwavering loyalty on the basis of this relationship that he has freely extended to you. This is what you confess every time that you say the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom. This is a kingdom in which you are all subjects. You are actively professing your allegiance to this king as his subject, and you are actively professing your trust in his rule as you say these final words of the Lord's Prayer. He is a glorious king as well. Our psalm says he is clothed in majesty. Now consider for a moment the majesty of an earthly monarch. If you see Queen Elizabeth, for example, in all of her royal regalia, seated on her throne with her most prominent subjects gathered around her, and she's reading, say, a a declaration, you have a real sense of the respect that she commands even with the limited amount of power that she has. And now I want you to consider, in light of that, the majesty of our God and King. This description in Revelation 4, let's turn to Revelation 4 for a moment together. This description of our God, of our King. Now bear in mind that this is a vision of the throne room of heaven and this is not even the glory and the splendor of the real thing. The apostle John writes in verse 2, he says, actually let's start at verse 1, it says, After these things I looked and behold the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I'll show you the things which must take place after this. So these are going to be declarations that follow. And so he enters into the throne room of heaven. And it says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And if we go a little bit further in verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes front and back. He goes on to describe flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder coming from the throne. For the Apostle John, this is an awe-inspiring and a truly terrifying picture. This is the majesty of which the psalmist writes. When we come into the presence of God, we aren't just coming into the presence of somebody uh, who's an earthly figurehead type of character. But we are coming into the presence of God full of majesty, and splendor. 
And then our psalm here today, Psalm 93, goes on to describe him as girding himself with strength. This is a picture of power, of someone getting ready for action. More specifically, this word often implies military action. God is preparing to go to war against his enemies and the enemies of his people. Now sure, it may be that the the world is established and the world seems pretty powerful. All the kings and the nations of the earth seem pretty established and their philosophies and the ideas of this world seem pretty established. You might run into someone who, when talking about anti-biblical ideas, says, well, that seems pretty settled. That's, a, that's common knowledge. But the fact of the matter is that when we look at these things and we consider themselves to be established, well, in comparison with God, this world is nothing. It's in constant flux. It's in constant change. Ideas are the breath of a moment. Tyrants are like grass in the fields, here today and tomorrow withering and thrown into the fire. The world and its inhabitants may seem pretty settled and confident, but they have nothing on God. God's throne is established from eternity. The Hebrew here speaks of time without beginning. You can't be more firmly established than that. Even this world, as ancient as it might seem, needed to be fixed in place. It needed to have an origin story. But God's throne simply is established. It's fixed. God's rule is everlasting. It simply is. There's no questioning, no doubting. There can be a rejection or a suppression of that fact but it simply is fact. And beloved, it's this Lord, our Lord, who is king. This mighty God, clothed in splendor, robed with strength, ready to do battle against his enemies, it's this God who is our covenant Lord. And it's him who is king. Do you recognize him as your king? Do you stand in wonder that this God, clothed in radiance, in splendor, would have this relationship with you and with me? Do you recognize him as your king? In what way do you submit to his rule in the different areas of your life then? In what way do you submit to his rule in your marriage? In what way do you submit to his rule in the way that you teach and train your children? In what way do you submit to his rule in the entertainment you enjoy? You see, there are the two ways once again that we can take this king. There are the two ways of either recognizing him as our king, as so many of the Israelites did, and delighting and rejoicing in him. Or to take him as our king simply as a cultural curiosity, taking his name on on our lips, 
having a good time together, gathered together in worship. But the simple fact of the matter is, he is king. And he rules. And so we don't have room just to take him as our king culturally. It's neither safe nor right to do so. Because the Lord reigns. He is king. This brings us to our second point. The immediate protest that sometimes rises up is, okay, well, sure, he's king. But how does that help me? What about the real world? How does it affect me from day to day? Well, first of all, that's the wrong question. Because God's rule isn't about me, but it's about him. But setting that aside for a moment, God still has a very vested interest in his people. Now there are those who accuse God of being far off. He's no more help than the Queen of England and I've got very real problems today. There's no doubt about that. We do have very real problems today. And our psalm immediately goes there as well. Psalm 93. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The floods, when they're not a picture of God's judgment, like you find in the waters of the flood in Genesis 9, you frequently have a second picture in the Old Testament. And that's the picture that's being referred to here. When you see floods referred to in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what's it talking about in the context of this passage? And here it's a picture of chaos, of overwhelming terror. In the ancient world, the floods and the seas were seen as a great enemy. They were a force of uncertainty. You had ships that went out into the sea for fishing, or even further abroad for trade. And sometimes they would just swallow up and vanish. There were no radar signals to see where they went down. There was no black box to follow up. People would go out, and they would just disappear, never to return again. And because of this, you can just imagine the terror of people who are caught up in these tiny little boats, nothing like the big seagoing ships that we have today, these tiny little boats that are caught up in a tempest, driven along, say, even for 14 days and nights with the Apostle Paul in Acts 27. Or the disciples with Jesus in Matthew 8 that are caught in a storm in the Sea of Galilee and the floods are rising up and they cry out, Lord, save us. Lord, the Christian says, the floods have lifted up their voice. This is the real world. You're king, but where's your rule? We even saw it in our catechism today. The devil, the world, and my own flesh don't stop attacking me. I'm so weak I can't even stand for a moment. The storms have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. Lord, save us. But we have Jesus Christ. As his disciples were crying out in fear in the face of the storm, the Lord Jesus stood up and he said to the storm, Peace. Be still. And the sea became peaceful and calm. The raging of the sea 
has no more power than noise to him. And at a word, its raging is stilled. We do face our enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh each and every day. This is the real world. They do not cease to attack us. And as we confess, in ourselves we're so weak that in ourselves we wouldn't even be able to stand for a moment. The Lord is the one who comes to our aid. We pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the Lord, indeed, does not lead us into temptation. As we read in James 1, verses 13 to 14, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God does not tempt his people. There may be times when he tests his people, but he does not tempt his people. And God is the one who delivers from temptation. What about the real world? This is the real world. God is the one who is king not only over the world, but over the storms that rage through it. And he's placed everything under the feet of Christ. Nothing can come to us except by his divine reckoning. And with a word, he is the one who can bid the storm to be still. He is the God who is greater than the raging of the sea. And his power is unsurpassed. And so it's in the shelter of his wings. It's under the shelter of his wings that we run when we face those storms. The floods have lifted up their voice. But the Lord is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea, because the Lord reigns. And this brings us to our third point. So where can I find assurance in all of this then? How can I be sure that this applies to me? Because our Father has the power the authority, and the desire to answer the prayers of those who call on him in true faith. This psalm begins with describing the kingdom, the power, and the glory of our God. The Lord's Prayer closes with a reminder, that same reminder of that same kingdom, power, and glory, grounded in eternity. And then in both cases, both in the Lord's Prayer and in this psalm, We are drawn to the word amen as we come to a close. Amen is a Hebrew word. It's a word meaning it is true and certain. Christ has given his word to us to emphasize that God in his majesty and glory, the Father in his majesty and glory will hear our prayer for his sake. And our psalm today directs us to how we can be so sure of that fact. Your testimonies are very sure, the psalmist writes. What he's saying is literally, your testimonies are, amen. 
your promises, your assurances, your laws, all of this puts the seal on who you are. And if we are uncertain, all we have to do is to be reminded, all we have to do to be reminded of the excellency and the certainty of your reign is to go to your word, Lord. And so far as we are concerned, our faith is tried and it's tested and it's proved. But why? Because our faith has reached its pinnacle in Christ. His coming into the world was the fulfillment of the greatest promise that though he is one who dwells in unapproachable light, in the power of his holiness, our eternal king would come down to man to bridge the gap that our rebellion had caused. Now you read here at the end of the psalm, holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Well, how can we take comfort in knowing that this holy God is coming to us? This holy God who dwells in unapproachable light is coming to us. Well, it's because he has set aside a people for himself who are holy, washed clean, purified, and raised to a new life. And now, having accomplished everything that he set out to do, he's returned to heaven with the firm promise that he will return again when the full number of his people are gathered in. Beloved, the Lord reigns. The Lord our God is king. His promises have been tested, tried, and they've been proved to be more certain than anything that this world has to offer. Now, in light of that, I'd like to ask you again, beloved, to, to reflect on that question. Is God just your king culturally? Is he just a distant figurehead in your mind? Just like the royal family to you that you might think about from time to time. Or is he actively your king? The comfort of the rule, the reign of God, won't be there for us unless we pray the closing of the Lord's Prayer in full sincerity and in faith. This comfort is meaningless if we don't actually make a point to recognize his rule and find comfort in it, honoring him as king, as our covenant king as our good God who has reached out to his people. If we don't remind ourselves of his rule and we don't submit ourselves to the authority of his rule, he is still king. But then we'll find ourselves coming to him in a very different way. Beloved, seek to find delight under his good and wise governance. Seek to come under the protection of his good and wise rule through faith, through repenting of your sins and looking to the blood of Christ. And in response to his rule, seek to live as faithful citizens in his kingdom out of thankfulness for the amazing gifts that he's extended to you, honoring him every day as Lord and God and King. And as the Lord Jesus Christ said, seek 
and you will find. You'll find that he is king, beloved, and that his rule is good. He's shown us this by his word and by the fulfillment of his word. And you'll find that he is truly willing to hear the prayers of his children, that he even more certainly hears our prayers and we even feel in our hearts that we would desire this of him because he's promised it. He's promised it for the sake of Christ. It is this covenant Lord who reigns. Amen.